Well, good morning. <clears throat> I mentioned in Sunday school that we finally got the white Christmas that we were looking for, right? Just a little bit off in timing. But uh, and chilly, man, it's cold out there. Good grief! I thought my wood stove was going to get a rest for the season, but it's cranking right now. What what a great opportunity it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and I'm always blessed. Um, so grateful for our worship team and just the way the service really goes. We've we've been showered um, by God's truths this morning. I appreciate. Corky's teaching in Sunday school and keeps bringing us back to the gospel and to the gospel and to salvation by faith. And then we get to respond to God, as Noah said, uh, just with, with glorious truths of what he has done and who he is. And I like that God would have us and works diligently to think clearly. There's so much going on in the world. And there's so much confusion. And God wants us to think clearly and to see clearly. And so we have an opportunity to worship Him and sing our praises in that sense. And God wants us to think clearly in every area of our lives. And we're in the book of 2 Corinthians. And one of the topics that Paul is talking about right now to a church, just like we are a church, is giving. And he kind of, he, he basically paints a picture, if you will, of biblical giving. It's, it's a vision. And in his exhortation and exclamation to this church, he reminds us of what the purpose of money is to begin with. And what's the purpose of provision? Why do we have the things that we have? And God is a great provider. We don't all have the same amount of money. We don't all live according to the same amount of means. What does that mean? And what does God require of us? based on what we have. And so Paul, in encouraging this church to be generous like Christ, gives us this wonderful teaching and understanding and really a biblical vision of money. You know, and I'm sad to say that a lot of Christian ministries, there's, there's been abuse and there's been a manipulation in the past to the sense that when, whenever a, a church or a pastor talks about giving, it almost makes us squirm. You just think, oh no, here it goes again. I'm going to be guilted into something. And I, one of the reasons I'm taking four sermons to go through this passage is so we don't have that wrong vision of what our possessions are for. And the biblical vision of giving is a cheerful experience. Just like it's, it's an act of worship. We just worship the God, God through praise and singing. We used our breath. We also use the money that He gives us, our resources our time as well, but our money, it's an act of worship. And that's why taking up the offering, it's not done like it as a precursor to our worship service or at the very end as something necessary we have to do to pay the heat bill. It is an act of worship. I'm sorry, this thing wants to work its way off my ear. It's a new one. I thought I had it adjusted right, but I think my ear, I must have slept on my ear wrong last night. It's this much bigger than the other one, and now it doesn't. No, I'm just. So anyway, it's a biblical vision. So what we've learned so far, just to kind of give a quick review, is that the scriptures explain or describe giving as a grace. It's a work of grace that God has done in our hearts. And God even goes so far as to put specific things in our hearts 
specific needs of people and ministry that need to be met. And so in our text, and I'll read it in, in very shortly, but he put it into the hearts of his children, the Macedonians to be specific, to give and meet another need. And that would be the church of Jerusalem. And they were experiencing a famine. So the believers or the church in Jerusalem were experiencing a famine at this time. So God moves and stirs. When you're a believer, you have to be prepared for God to move and stir your heart. Because that's what He does as our Heavenly Father. And that includes meeting needs that this world has. And meeting needs for ministry. So the biblical vision of giving is that it's a move from God. Upon our hearts. It's an opportunity to serve Him. And it's also a reminder that God owns it all. You know, when, when you realize that whatever we have or don't have, it's, it's, it's been a gift from God for us. Then it helps us to be more generous. Because we realize that in the big picture, we were not solely responsible for the income that we have. The gifts and the talents that we have come from God. I mean, God is that active in our lives. He sets things up. He makes connections. Every job I've ever had is from the hand of God, whether directly or indirectly, because God provides for His people. So He owns it all. And in a sense, we're giving back to God for providing for us. But not only does He own it all, we were reminded that He gives it all. That Christ gave us all so that we can experience the heavenly riches of being in Christ. The riches of a relationship with God. So on the earth we're already experiencing heavenly benefits and rewards, if you will. And then Paul kind of gets practical when he's making this appeal to the Corinthians to... I want, he says, I want you to give like the Macedonians. He's not commanding it, but he's just saying the opportunity is here. But he reminds them of what, how he'll personally handle the gift. And, and we call it honorable management of God's giving. And that is when people give, uh, ministries have a responsibility to take care of that money and make sure it gets where it's going. And so Paul literally sets up a, a ministry team to handle the funds and the gift so that the generous givers are reassured that their gift is getting exactly where it is intended to go. Because that doesn't always happen. There's a lot of scammers out there. And they didn't even have internet in those days. And there were still a lot of scammers. I don't know what's going on. I'm sorry. This thing wants to bounce off my ear. Then the other thing we were reminded of uh, is that when we give, Paul says it's actually an evidence that we're true believers. Because when, when Christ comes into our hearts, He changes things and we develop new habits and new patterns and new thought processes. And the way we look at our possessions is different. Now we look at them through the eyes of Christ, through the truth of Christ, through our relationship with Christ. And if we're believers, God is such a generous God, then it's unthinkable that we would not be generous in some way with our time and our resources. 
So given, giving is one of many evidences that we are a true believer. It helps us to realize that as Jesus taught, the things of this earth, moths will get them eventually, rust will get them eventually. Just visit a landfill someday. If you want to know about the, the precious, glorious, priceless things that we're buying these days, one day they will be in a landfill. There'll be rubble of some sort. And so our emphasis is, well, why not invest in things that won't wind up in a landfill? In things that will last for eternity. And there are opportunities in this material world to invest in the spiritual eternal world. So our material copper and silver or whatever metals can be used for that. So we want to think clearly. And I think this passage helps us to think clearly about kingdom things. And this passage provides many opportunities for us to worship God and to serve God in this area of our lives. Because it's been a a few weeks since we've been in this text, I'm going to go ahead and read the first. And we're in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. I want to read the first 15 verses. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending my brothers, I'm sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say, Nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 
I just want to draw out a few points and then there's a can't cover it all this morning. We'll have one more sermon um, to look at some of the other truths in this passage. But Paul mentions that the place of giving is just so important in our lives. And he has already mentioned it as an evidence of our confession of faith. But I want us to understand also that not only is it just an evident evidence, but the act and the practice or the habit, the discipline of giving is a means to conform us to the image of Christ, which is our main goal. And, and we think, well, if I have my devotions, I'm conforming to the image of Christ. And as I study my Bible, I'm conforming to the image of Christ. As I serve my neighbors, I'm conforming to the image of Christ. And that's true. But as we give of our resources, that's a practice and a discipline of conforming to the image of Christ. Because Christ is so, he is a generous figure. He is a generous person. That's how he thought and lived his life with all the people that he interacted. So we want to think clearly about this. Our practice of giving is every every opportunity for giving is an opportunity to for us to be more like Christ. And throughout our entire Christian pilgrimage, we will have countless opportunities. God will give us countless opportunities to be challenged and blessed with giving in the name of Christ and for the cause of Christ. And every time we do that, it's an acknowledgement of our confession and it is, it's, it's a, an act that says, I want to be more and more like you. Help me to look at my resources and to look at others, people's needs, my provisions, Christ, as you do. So it's an opportunity for growth. You know, when, when we pass the plate, for example, and say we, we've got our checks or our cash or our pennies or whatever in our hand, every time we release that gift into that plate, there's, there's a transaction, there's a moment of growth. And I hope that we... I hope that we do not just mindlessly do it because it's something that we do every Sunday. You know, perfunctory. You just go through the motions. We want to challenge ourselves not to let it fall into that category because God takes it serious. Like he, he enjoys it, right? He loves a cheerful giver. So these are moments for God to enjoy us. We just want to realize that, that when we release that resource into that play, it's a theological action. It's saying something about ourselves and how we think about God. Just to, to release that and to let it go and to give it to the Lord tells us and those around us what our resources mean to us, what God means. to it. So when we give it for us to give, it's a reminder that God's first given to us. I have. I give because I've first been given. So every time we take up an offering or every opportunity to give... It's a theological reminder of God as our Jehovah Jireh, our great provider. And of course, if we think about God's provision, every time it's a reminder that we're even here in this place in the kingdom of God because of the cross of Christ. Because Christ gave himself for our sins. So it's a spiritual act of worship. And we are becoming 
more like God in the sense that we're becoming more giving. And before we come to Christ, we're all about ourselves. We're all wrapped up into everything that we can to promote ourselves. And as Christ permeates our our hearts and our minds, it's less about us and more about God. So every time there's an opportunity to give and we commune with God, God is this, what do you require of me here? How can I serve you? How can I bless you? We make these decisions every week and it's, these are growth spurts that we have when we obey the Lord in this. And it's also a reminder. It seems like such a simple thing and we just took up the offering and you think, well, I didn't even have all that in my mind. But it's a reminder that when it comes to giving, God is our standard. And that's, that's what I mean also by it helps us to grow because we're giving based on how God has given us. So He's our standard. How generous should you be? How much should you give? Only you can answer that question. But we all have the same standard. We all look to the same generous God and figure in Jesus Christ. He is our standard. So as we come to these decisions, it shouldn't be based on, well, gosh, my neighbor just gave more than I did. I better put a little more in there. Or it shouldn't be according to the IRS deduction or the tax laws as our standard. How much do you give? Well, I just give whatever the tax laws, uh, however it benefits me the most. It shouldn't be uh, based on my pride. My measure of giving shouldn't be based on my pride and how I want to outgive everybody or look good in front of others. The standard is Christ. It's not a random budget. It's not, a, it's not an impulse. It's a well-thought-out conversation that I've had with my Savior who is generous to me and He is the standard by which I measure my giving. God helps us. We should help others. So even something as simple as releasing money in the plate or just writing that check or whatever our practice is, it is a profound theological statement that grows us in Christ. You know, God, God lacks nothing. He owes nothing. He, he needs nothing. Uh, he, he left His the Son of God left the glories of heaven in the midst of, of celestial beings and their praise. And he left the precious metals and the gold and the, he left the crowns. All those surroundings to come into our mud puddle of a depraved world to give himself for us. That's our standard. Uh, he, he was born in, by hum, in humble means. Uh, by a pregnant teenager that wasn't married. And then he, after he was born, he was often on the run. And he, even as an adult, he, had, he was homeless to some degree. Uh, he swung a hammer for a living in addition to his ministry. So by our standards, Christ was poor. It was a little bit of hand-to-mouth living. And yet, he was generous in every way. Thinking of others, what little he had... He contributed to the needs and honorably managed what was before him. Giving conforms us to the image of Christ. 
And then secondly, giving is provision guided. I'll explain that in a second. But look, listen to how... So what this does is this enables us to wrestle and come to conclusions before God. Well, how much should I give? What are my boundaries or my guidelines? If the readiness is there, verse 12... Now I'm back in verse in chapter 8. Um, I, I warned you that I would interchange these two chapters. But for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And there he's talking, of course, about the manna. I think this is something that's a very important teaching because it, help, it helps us from getting uh, carried away by impulse. Because we could hear so much about being like Jesus and giving generous, which is is the, you know, the pronounced teaching here, the main point. And Paul even says the point is, is this. If you sow generously, you reap generously. But we can hear so much about that and get caught up in it so much that we can actually give irresponsibly. And the Apostle Paul is warning this church and the Corinthians that that's not what it's all about. It's not about you giving so much that you're giving irresponsibly, we still have other things that we have to take care of. We don't want to give the wrong idea. And a lot of times we, when we think about Christ as our standard, I don't know if you've ever had this thought, but it, it crosses my mind every, time, every once in a while. And that is, okay, if I'm to be like Christ and to be as generous of Christ, then I should just give everything away because he gave it all. Have you ever been tempted to do that? You just, you just get to this place where you think, well, God's given me everything. I should just give it all to be more like Him. I've never acted on that, but I have had that temptation. So what keeps us from doing that? Is there a place for that? You know, just, I'm just going to give it all and trust God. What does that even look like in real life? So how do we really know? Well, we, we've already learned that giving is a personal decision, and that means, um, he tells us, each man gives according to what he has decided in his heart to give. Not out of compulsion, not reluctantly, like we often portray it. So the picture is that we're in communion with God. We're having this conversation with God. He knows how much we make. He knows our struggles. He knows what we have. He knows what we don't have. He knows the actual need. That's there for the giving to begin with, whether it's a personal transaction or giving to ministry or whatever it is. He knows all these things and he helps us come to a place by his grace in settling on how much we should give. So it's a personal thing and it's some, that makes it somewhat subjective. But, what, but are there any other boundaries? Is it only subjective as far as how much should I give to the Lord? Or are there other things that God has put in place? Well, Paul's teaching us that there are other things that God has put in place. And that is that we give according to what God has provided for us. Giving is it's provision guided. It's not all we have to go on is just, say, our prayer life. So it's based on what we have 
to give. The Macedonians gave beyond their means. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that they gave what other people had. It means that they looked and say their cookie jars, they, their savings envelopes, they took extra out and gave to this church of Jerusalem. Which means they gave at their own expense. It doesn't mean when they say they gave more than they had, it doesn't mean that they gave everything they had and then they start looking at their neighbor's goods and start hawking those things and siphoning gas out of their vehicles so they have even more to give. So the giving is always based on what God has provided for you. That's another boundary here. Because we can give beyond our means and do what? Become a burden to others. And Paul says that's not, it's not like this race to see who can give the most. Because you can give irresponsibly and mess the system up, so to speak. Become a burden to others. So we give according to what we have at our own expense. And so we all have to come up with our budgets. But that means there's so much, there's a variety here. And each of us will look at what we have and come draw different conclusions as to what is a true sacrifice for us to give. And it's going to be different amounts. And some of us might think, well... Uh, I'll give up my coffee money for this specific mission. I'll give up my Starbucks money, which is overpriced anyway, so that's a good thing to do. A few giggles out of that. Anyway, so somebody might say, that's a sacrifice. You know, I, I like my coffee. It's going to be hard, but that's an extra 30 bucks a month or whatever for this particular ministry. God's put it in my heart and moved on me to do that. Others might think there's no way in the world I'm going to give up my coffee. And I have a clean conscience drinking my coffee. So there's just different things and there's different ways that God moves in our hearts. But it's at our expense. It's, at our, it's according to what we have to give. There are... It seems obvious, but there are Christians today and throughout history that have given unethically. In the, in the name of Christ, in order to be more generous to God. And not so long ago, I read this, I think it was about a year ago, I read this article about this man who became very successful in his business practices, only to find out that they were unlawful. Well, he had made a lot of money unlawfully, and, but he had given it to all these ministries. And when he got caught... They had to track that money because it wasn't his to give. And it got really messy. And go to these ministries and say, we need this money back. So it's, it's a, a warped way of thinking. But we're, we're never to justify giving more to God at the expense of burdening any other person but ourselves. It needs to be our sacrifice. It happens. So we give according to what we have, according to our own expense. What happens if you give away more than you have? Well, Paul says then you've just become a burden and you've just created a need that wasn't even there to begin with. We already had this need. Now, there's common sense arguments going on here. There's logic. So if I give, if I give you my lunch money because you don't have it, 
And then I go to this side. If I give this side of the church my lunch money, then I go to this side and say, um, I've got a need. I don't have any lunch money. Can you guys scratch around and see if you got any pocket change? See, I gave at your expense because I didn't have it to give. So I'm playing this middleman, and he, Paul calls it unfair. It's, it's unreasonable. It's unlogical. That my generosity is not creating a burden for myself. It's creating a burden for other people. So don't be generous with other people's money. It's a temptation out there sometimes. So we want to, if we don't have it to give, and if we're not willing to make that personal sacrifice, it's not an honorable management of God's funds. So you see, when you look at the economy of God, and he, he knows what He needs, He knows what needs to be given, and He gives to His children according to this to meet needs. He's, he manages it all. And our responsibility is just to what we have in our possession to be wise stewards of that and to obey the promptings of the Lord. Now, there are times when we might find ourselves in need unexpectedly. Uh, Let's just say uh, you're ministry-minded and you have a neighbor that their car broke down and, and, and they're impoverished and you have an extra one and you give it to them and... It, in love and sacrifice, it was nice to have it, but they need it more. And then your vehicle breaks down. And that's the only vehicle you have. Well, then you're in need because you gave generously, but it's unexpected. It's unforeseen. And that's not what I'm talking about. Paul is talking about, don't, don't just give all this money to look good or what, for whatever reason. And then now you're asking for money. It creates something that doesn't need to be there. It doesn't make any sense to become a burden to others. God gives so that we can give. And I'm always reminded that it's not about the quantity so much as the quality. You remember the, the widow's might? If you looked at if you look at that practically, what is it, what what's the sense of a few pennies? I mean, how far is that going to go in the kingdom of God? What kind of needs are a few pennies really going to meet? What's, why even go through the motions to give such so little? And yet, God raves about that act. Why? Because it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual act of worship. And that's what he was highlighting. It wasn't, in this case, it wasn't how much. It was the obedience and the love of this child that just understands how rich they are in Christ. It's a beautiful transaction. Faith, giving at your own expense. So then I want to close with the question uh, that's on a lot of people's minds when it comes to giving, and that is, what about the tithe? So we say in our service, I don't know, it might be in the bulletin, I don't know. I'm going to check real quick. But I know we oh, we say offering. I thought it was tithes and offering. But a lot of times we'll say it's time for the tithes and offering to come up. What does that mean? So when we talk about measuring how much we should give, and we think about it's a personal decision before God, and it's also there's some boundaries on it based on if you don't have it, you can't give it, unless you're going to give it in faith, 
according to your own expense, and you can do that. There's room to do that. You can give in faith, but as long as it's in your own expense. Are there any other boundaries? And what about the tithe as a measure or a helpful measure of giving? Is the tithe of 10% as taught in the Old Testament, is that a requirement for New Testament believers? And if so, why do we not find it in any of the chapters? Like these chapters that we're looking at are basically it's one of the greatest teachings on New Testament teaching in in the scriptures. And we do not find any mention about a tithe. So is it still commanded or not? The tithe is understood as 10% of your income. So is that your command before God? I want to wrestle with this for our, the remainder of our time. But let me just tell you up front my position on this. And that is, uh, I believe that tithing as 10% of giving to the Lord needs to stay in the Old Testament and does not transcribe into New Testament giving. And I'll explain that shortly. But... Why, if if that's the case, if I don't believe that we should teach the 10% as the Old Testament teaches it, why don't I spaz out over the the idea that people even use the word tithing? Because I spaz out about some theological things that are very important to me, and then I let other things go. Well, why would I not get upset about even some modern-day churches using the principle of a 10% tithe? And there's several reasons why... I'm okay with it. You may not be okay with it, but I'll explain my reasons for it. Basically, it serves a very practical purpose in teaching us the the idea or the concept of giving. It's in the Bible. So if you read your Bibles, we can all be in the same place, if you will, when we talk about a tithe. We understand what's behind it. Because the Old Testament lays a foundation for giving. There are teachings there. And the tithe is a rallying point or a point of familiarity so we can all talk about the tithe and we all know what we're talking about. Helps us to be on the same page. It's also very practical in the sense that if you're a new believer, let's say you haven't developed this relationship with God yet and God's not stirring your heart or moving your heart to give anything. But you know you should give something. So where do you start? I think it's, it serves a very practical purpose in that if, if you're still getting familiar with Christ and understanding his, your place of stewardship, 10% is a great place to start as far as tithing. It's practical in that sense. So uh, there's, there, there are a lot of benefits to this idea of tithing. And it's still an act of giving, and it can still be done with the right attitude, and it can still be done cheerfully, and it can still be done because you've wrestled with this. But I will say that those are pragmatic reasons for why I don't get upset about tithing, or or at least using those words. But what does the New Testament teach? Because pragmatism never has the final word. Scripture always has the final word. Well, we do see the 10% rule. We saw it with Abraham before the law was even given, right? Abraham and his great victory, he gives a tithe to 
the priest Melchizedek. Ten percent. We saw it again uh, with another patriarch, Jacob. Jacob, of course, the rascal leaves. He's a deceiver and he leaves. And God's working in him as he's out of the promised land at this time. And in, in Genesis, uh, Jacob, let me read, in Genesis 28, let me read this. It says, Jacob made a vow because he's wanting to come back now into the promised land as a changed man. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So there's that principle of 10%, something that we offer to God, we give to God. Now, when you look at that, that's a deal of a lifetime, right? You understand what he's saying? If you keep me safe, and you give me lots of goats and sheep and pasture and water, my travels, and I don't get thirsty, and none of us get hungry, and you bring me back. In other words, you cover all my bases for pretty good living. You give me all this, and by the way, and your presence, I want your presence too. I'll give you 10% back. That's a deal of a lifetime, right? So you give me everything I need and bless me in this way, and I'll give you 10%. But it's taught there, right? So, even though it's a deal of a lifetime, that's why we, we can't outgive God in that sense. You can't outgive God because God's just such an incredible provider for us. And it's not a fair transaction. It's not, it's not meant to be a fair transaction. God will always outgive us. We'll always be trying to catch up to be more like Christ in that way. Malachi tells us, we'll, talking about tithe, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me, but you say, well, how have we robbed you? Well, in your tithes, your contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, that there, um, and put me to the test, says the Lord, and See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. So you see that when we tithe in the Old Testament, you, you're blessed by it. But if you do not, you're cursed by it. The whole temple ministry in that day depended on the tithe. That's how ministry took place. That's how they were able to build. That's how the Levites who had to leave their farms and whatever other jobs they had temporarily to come and, and serve in the temple, they needed to be provided for. As God said, you know, I can't be in two places at one time, so if I'm going to serve God by God's calling, then I've got to have something to feed my family. So we see that it was a... It was set up by God. It was a rule and it worked. If people obeyed it, it worked very, very well. You know, 10%. You start getting, when we start looking into that, by the way, if you looked at all of the different opportunities that God gave in the law to give, you're given a 10% of all kinds of things. 
um, it adds up to more than 10%. It add, you, you wind up with about 20, 25% of your giving. If you bring this animal for this feast and this, this tithe of this crop for this feast and so forth, when you do the math, in other words, it's not just 10%. So we don't want to get too hung up on that figure. But let me give you six reasons why I do not believe tithing crossed over into the new covenant from the old covenant. And these come from Bible scholar Thomas Schreiner. And he wrote an article that was published in the Gospel Coalition. And I've just basically condensed it for my purposes on this for this sermon. So first, we're no longer under the Mosaic Law, right? The Old Covenant. The New Testament makes that very clear. Galatians makes it excessively clear about the transition between the old. So we're under the new covenant and there's a big difference in how we worship God, including in our giving. All of the ceremonial and the civil laws were, have been trumped by the law of Christ and the spirit of Christ. So they served their purpose back then. They're no longer needed in the new covenant. Secondly... The tithes were given to the priests and the temple. And again, it kept that whole sacrificial system going. That's how you worship God in the Old Covenant. That's no longer the case. Christ fulfilled all of the laws. We don't need that kind of priesthood uh, to be enacted today. Now, there's still, there are still ministers of God that need to be provided for. God's, the, the kingdom of God is, is even more active financially now than it was in the Old Testament. But we don't have that kind of ministry. Third, the tithe was also connected to the people of God or the nation as, a, as an ethnic people and the promised land. Like even the land was laid fallow. Uh, every third year there was a tithe for the land. So it was all tied up in Jerusalem or the, the Jews as being the people of God in the old, in the old covenant. In the new covenant... Jesus fulfilled that, and the people of God are any, any body of faith. And God's vision is for all the nations to come to Christ, not just this one people group. So the whole emphasis of the people of God expanded to Jew and Gentile and to every nation. And some people point to the fact that Jesus um, made reference to Old Testament tithing. And he made reference to obeying the Old Testament or the Old Covenant laws. And he affirmed these kind of things like observing the givers in the temple. And he affirmed that practice. He also talked about uh, and, and affirmed the giving of sacrifices, which is an Old Covenant thing. He also talked about if you had a disease and you were cleared, go to the priest to be officially pronounced healed. So what he was doing is he's affirming the practice of Old Testament living and worship because he had not died and and risen again yet. So the new covenant hadn't even been enacted yet. He is the new covenant. So he's just affirming the old until the new comes. And then everything changes. You know, I also mentioned that if we were going to get serious about the Old Testament, 10%, uh, and we did the math, it would be more than 10%. And then lastly, nowhere in the New Testament is tithing mentioned as 
a law or a mandate. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in this passage says, I don't command this. And there were things that were commanded in the Old Testament. You were commanded to give to the poor. They had a poor tax. Yet Now, the New Testament says give to the poor. But it's not in the, in the, under the umbrella of a law or a command. It's something that we do because of Christ, out of gratitude and to be like Christ because he is so generous to us. So we're not told exactly how much to give in the New Testament. We're just constantly told to give generously. And it's a personal thing and it's based on our relationship with Christ. It's based on our knowledge of him and how good he is to us. It's it's not it's it's of the spirit. It's not just the law. And when you're in Christ it's unthinkable that we would that we would be greedy and stingy with our things when God has generously given them to us. And Christ transforms us in that way. So so how much should we give then? How do we know how much we should give? Well, as much as your grace-filled, cheerful heart before God wants to give. There's, There's no limit on it. We can be as generous as God allows. We can be as generous as, as we have been provided for. We can make whatever sacrifices we need to make. It's not out of compulsion. It's not manipulation. It's not sin to, not, to, to withhold things that you need to f- put food on your table. It's a good thing. It's a responsible thing. So, And it's, it's not to be an act of pride. So what it does is it causes us, New Testament giving, it causes us to take a good hard look at Christ. And what Christ has is, is done and is doing in our lives. And Christ wants to free us from guilt and manipulation. So that when we give honestly with a clear conscience, God, I acknowledge that you've given me this and now I want to bless others with it. It's, it's, it's receiving what God gives us with open hands and not clamping down and saying, mine, 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 mine. In our last sermon, I'm going to give you some examples of how, unfortunately, we as Americans do the mine, 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 mine thing whenever we get. It doesn't pass through us, which is not like Christ. So... We don't have the temple, we don't have the priesthoods, but we have active opportunities. There's still, there's more ministry worldwide now than ever. And that means, and by the way, ministry takes money. It just does. You, you got to have, you got to have money. And I know, and, and I, we don't ask for money. I don't ask for money from this pulpit. I don't know that I ever have asked for money from this pulpit. But we've, as a church, we've never had a need. Like, there's never been this crisis or emergency. We can't pay the heating bill. And, and, and by God's grace, we've been responsible. The leadership through the years has been responsible. This church is paid for. And we have not made the decision. And some churches make this decision, and, and that's fine for them. But we didn't build this great big sanctuary Beyond our means. We have lived within our means that God provides us with families to attend this church and and to give as they can. And we work with what God gives us. Uh, There may be times when when God does call us to give generously and we all make sacrifices. But it will be because we've decided in our own hearts to do that. 
The Spirit of God will put it in our hearts to move us, and we trust in those kind of things. So ministry takes money. There's, there's ministries here. People have ministries that attend this church. Uh, it's hard to ask for money, but we just have to know that that's how it happens. We've got to support people. And if, if I'm not out working uh, that kind of job, then I need to be supported in ministry. So we still have ministers, and we have the priesthood of believers, and so forth. But what do we do here with all of that? Well, we want to support it. So for me, my primary offerings go to this church. You know, in the, even in the Old Testament, the priests who received the tithe to provide for themselves, they also tithed. Uh, the, the priests tithe to support the high priests and so forth, but they all tithe. And so my, our family's primary giving goes to this church. Because this is where, this is the, my church family and this is what God uses in my life to feed me. And I know that I do most of the preaching. But I'm fed when I come here. I'm fed with the Sunday school lessons. I'm fed with the communion messages. I'm fed by the fellowship and what you have to offer in Christ to me. Encouragements and prayers and so forth. This is my garden of growth. It's, this, it's these people. So primarily... This is where we give. But I want us to realize that giving is not consumerism. It's not a business. It's not consumerism. So when I put money in the plate, I'm not praying. uh, I mean, I'm not paying God for a product from you. I'm not paying to get my needs met. I'm not paying to feel a certain way when we worship God. I'm giving my money to God. It's not consumerism. It's not a business deal where I'm I'm hoping to get something out of this. It's called a covenant. And it's a covenant of grace. And God's not a product. God's not a brand that I have to give to. It's something that I get to practice. I get to give to God. I want to give to God. To expand my faith. I've mentioned in the past that, you know, there's people that uh, have stopped giving and they've cut God off in their tithe because they were upset at somebody in the church. It's like if if things don't go the way I want them to go, then I'm going to use my money to control the church. That happens. That's not the biblical vision of offerings. It's a gift and it's given for kingdom purposes. By the way, if you... um. If you ever wanted to, God moved on your heart and you wanted to give a specific gift to a specific person, that has to run through the church if you wanted the tax deduction by our laws, our IRS laws. We elders have to approve it. But once you give money, legally, once you give money to the churches, the church now manages it. You can't like put it in, oh, I changed my mind. Or, and to prevent people from using the laws illegally, For me, for just giving my kids money, oh, it's a spiritual gift, but I'm getting a tax deduction and doing it. It's it's with the wrong reasons and motivations. So there are laws in place that we have to follow. If If we see a need or a family member in need, we have to keep that in mind that the money goes to church, then we have to approve it. Most of the time it's approved, but it's it's a legal thing. And a lot of people in this church 
I want you to know that um, a lot of pe- there's a lot of giving that takes place in this church that you never hear about because the givers want to remain anonymous. Uh, sometimes I'm, I play the middleman. A lot of times I play the middleman in these transactions. And I can't tell you because the people, would they want to remain anonymous. But there is a lot of generosity that takes place in this little body of Christ. You just have to know that. Be encouraged by that. You don't see it, but it is happening. There is sacrificial giving that takes place. It's amazing the needs that are met. It's amazing the people that come to me and ask about other family members and what can be done. It's just a beautiful thing to be a part of. So I had one guy that, uh, that wanted to remain anonymous, but he came to me, it's been uh, years now, and just said, I want to give to the Lord what is a need that this church has. What's a physical need that this church has right now? Is there something I can do? Uh, and, and ask me right here in this sanctuary. And I looked down at the carpet that we used to have. And I said, well, you kind of caught me off guard, but I'm looking at this carpet and look, there's beer stains. There's tobacco spit all over this carpet. And it just... From our fellowship meals. No, it wasn't beer stains. I know, it's a terrible thing. It's supposed to be funny. Food stains, drink stains, because this is our fellowship hall as well as our sanctuary. You know, I don't know how much you're talking, but it would... That's that's a, a need. People come in and say, oh, look at the carpet. There's stains everywhere. This person gave. They gave, took care of the whole thing, period. That much... Insisted on remaining anonymous. But we have this carpet. Now, there's some stains on it now, but we've had it for several years now. Uh, but, but that kind of thing happens. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And we all get to reap the benefit of that blessing. And that person was blessed in that giving. God has a purpose for giving. He has a purpose for having us in this passage right now. And I said right up front, I have no, there's no little cards in my sleeves that I'm going to pull out. Now that you're all so generous, I have nothing in mind. But that doesn't mean God doesn't have something in mind. So if God moves your heart, act on it, obey Him. Get, receive the blessing of grace and the joy of giving, please. And if, if you're willing, share it with me or somebody so that the body can know about it and be encouraged because God is an awful, is an awesome, awfully awesome God. May God bless the preaching of his word.